uh, verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. And bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. 
But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we, we add our amen to that. The world cannot contain the glory of our Savior. The wonder of what He has done and is doing and will do. And so would you bring us once again, as we spend a little bit of time with this chapter, with these words that you've given to us, would you bring us once again to the glory of our Savior? We cannot fully contain Him, we cannot fully explain Him, but we do long to know Him, to worship Him, to be loved by Him, and to love Him in return. And so would you produce that in us this morning, by the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter is an encore performance. Uh, you know how, how the band plays their set, and then they finish, and they leave the stage, and then the crowd keeps cheering, and they say, we want more, encore, encore, and they cheer long enough that the band finally comes back out and plays a few more songs. That's a little bit of the way that the Gospel of John works. John has played his set. And he has reached a grand finale in John chapter 20. And he finishes by saying, I have written all of this. This is in verses 30 to 31 of John 20. I've written all of this, all of these signs, all of these things that Jesus has said and done. I've written it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And then it's as if John hears the roaring of the crowd saying, we want more, we want more. And he says, okay, okay, okay. One more story. And we get John chapter 21. But as we listen to this music, if you listen closely, it'll start to sound familiar. If you read this gospel and then read this last chapter, you'll, you'll think, I think I have heard some of this before. Because this chapter is not only an encore, it is a reprise. It is a story that uh, picks up, repeats, and expands many of the themes that have made up this book. Many of the messages that John has, want to, has wanted to share with us about Jesus and about what it means to have life in him. And so the question becomes, why should we listen? Why shouldn't we just go home, the concert's over, why should we stay around for this encore performance? And we've already answered it. It's there at the end of chapter 20. It's because John has written this so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and so that by believing, we may have life in his name. And so let's listen this morning, and let's find those two things, belief and life. First of all, belief. Verse 1 tells us that this story is an unveiling. 
It is a revelation of Jesus. We've talked before in this series about how John is like a painter in this gospel. And he has one more picture. One more portrait to show us of the glory of Jesus. And this picture, this image of Jesus that we get in this chapter is the picture of Jesus as a chef. Making and serving breakfast to his friends. Verse 1 also tells us that all of this happens around the Sea of Tiberias. Also known as the Sea of Galilee. Now that's not the first time in this book that something significant has happened around the Sea of Tiberias. Chapter 6. Thousands of people gather to hear the teaching of Jesus. But instead of a seminar, Jesus decides to cater a meal. Uh, But he does it without enough money to buy supplies and without an industrial kitchen that you would need to make so much food for so many people. And instead, he takes the brown bag of a little boy. This meager meal of what? Hear the echo. Bread and fish. And he multiplies it. And he makes more than enough food for everyone. Plenty of leftovers for the disciples the next day. And then he goes on later in that chapter to say, you know what? You have a deeper hunger than just for physical bread and fish. You have a deeper hunger. And he says of himself, I am the bread of God sent from heaven. Better than manna in the wilderness. I am the bread of life for your deepest hunger. So you see, John wants us to see that again. He wants us to hear that again. He wants us to know that Jesus is the one who has given himself to feed our deepest hunger. But why do we need it again? Is this needless repetition? Why do we need to hear that again? Well, verse 9 of chapter 21 tells us that this meal is prepared and eaten around what? Around a charcoal fire. And that's not the first time in this book that something significant has happened around a charcoal fire. Chapter 18. Jesus is on trial, being condemned to death. And outside in the courtyard, someone built a charcoal fire around which Peter warmed himself and around which Peter denied his association with Jesus, denied even knowing Jesus. So you see here in chapter 21, this isn't just a meal of sustenance. It is a meal of reconciliation. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus says to him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The first time he says, Do you love me more than these? Recalling Peter's boast. That he did love Jesus more than the rest of the disciples. He said, I will go with you, Jesus, even if 
all of these other people leave, I will stay even to the point of death. Do you love me, Peter, more than these? These are exposing questions. They are cutting questions. They are painful questions. They are knives. But they are knives in the hand of a surgeon who is doing his work of healing and restoration. You see, Peter, and not only Peter, the rest of the disciples, they stumbled onto that shore reeking of failure. But what did they smell? The aroma of forgiveness. The aroma of mercy. Jesus setting a table for those who didn't deserve it and welcoming them back. Bringing them back into communion with himself. And Jesus is still serving that meal this morning. Jesus still sets that table for people who don't deserve it. Jesus still lost the aroma of forgiveness and mercy to those who have denied him this week. One of the best meals I've ever had in my life was in Granville, Ohio, which is a little town right outside Columbus where we were living at the time. And there was a couple in our church whose son was a chef at this restaurant and who had invited us to come and check it out. And so we did, and he came out to take our order. And instead of ordering off the menu, I handed him the menu and I said, you pick for me. And he says, okay, I'll take care of you. And he did. (laughs) That was a good decision. That was probably 10 years ago, and I can still remember the smells and the taste of that food this morning. To believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is more than just the acknowledgement of some statements of fact. It is to trust the chef. It is to take the menu and hand it to him and sit down at that table. A table you don't deserve to be at. But he died. To open his arms and say, come and pull up your chair. Come and eat. And I think a lot of us, you know, we don't, most of us don't struggle with a doubt about Jesus' skill as a chef. We don't struggle to doubt his power, his capacity, his ability. We struggle to believe that we belong. That we belong at that table. We think, I haven't done enough to get here. Or maybe I've done too much. Too much failing to sit down at this table. But can you smell it? Can you smell the aroma of that fish frying over the fire? The smell of forgiveness, the smell of mercy, the smell of restoration, the smell of him saying once again, come 
welcome. Come and eat from my table. I heard Sinclair Ferguson once say, and if you don't know Sinclair Ferguson, he's a Scottish pastor and theologian. And so you have to hear this in a Scottish accent because it's better. Uh, it's, it's more powerful that way. But I heard him once say, we must always remember, you must always remember that there is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. There is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in you. That's the aroma of this table. That is the music of this chapter. That's the music of this book. And to believe in him is to trust the chef and to know that there is more grace in him than there is sin in us. But that belief, it is not static. It's not motionless. It is not inert. As we saw last week, to come to Jesus is to be caught up in a movement, to be given a mission. So we need to keep listening and hear in this chapter not only belief, but also life. Because this story, while it is certainly a revelation of Jesus, it is also about the transformation of his friends. It's about the transformation of his disciples. And he transforms them, not only by feeding them, but by employing them. He he changes them, not just by serving them breakfast, but by giving them two jobs, two vocations. First, they were already fishermen. And some people want to criticize them for going fishing, but there's no critique here. There is only a reminder of change. Jesus, in fact, in fact makes them very successful as fishermen. He doesn't critique them being fishermen. But he's reminding them of a transfiguration that he has done with their vocation. He is reminding them that he has called them not to just be fishers of fish, but to be fishers of people. That he has given to them the job, the vocation of participating in the ingathering of a new people. The new people of God gathered by the power of the gospel message. And so he reminds them of what kind of fishermen they are. And then he says, that's not enough. You have to work a second job. He gives them a second vocation. They must not only be fishermen, but also shepherds. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Now that isn't the first time in this book that we've heard something significant about shepherds. John chapter 10 Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name and they know my voice and I lay down my life for them. So do you hear the echo? And do you see what Jesus is doing with that image, with that message? He is saying, not only am I the good shepherd, 
But now Peter, disciples, you are a part of my shepherding work. Three times Peter professes his love for Jesus. And every time Jesus takes that love and he says, Peter, do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to love me? It means to be involved in my love for my people. It means to participate in my sacrificial shepherding care. Even to the point of death. You see, to come to the table of Jesus is to be sent with the nourishment of that grace for others. To experience the love of Jesus is to be sent with that love for the sake of others. And while Peter had a unique role to play in that mission, these vocations are still for us as followers of Jesus. While I have a particular role As a pastor, which is drawn from the shepherding language, it's not just my job. It is not just my job to tend the sheep, to feed the sheep. That is a vocation that Jesus gives to all of us. Because to come to his table and taste his grace is to be sent with that grace for the nourishment of others. But now Peter hears that call. He realizes that to have life in Jesus is to live a life of sacrificial love. And he starts to hear that word sacrificial. And he starts to realize the risk of it, the cost of it, the pain of it. And he says, he looks around and he goes, whoa, wait a second. What about him? (laughs) What about John? Does he have to die too? (laughs) Sacrificial maybe, but it needs to be fair. We should all have to sacrifice, right? (laughs) Jesus takes his wandering eyes and he pulls them back and he says, not your concern. Not your story. Peter, follow me. Look at me. Not at him. Why? Why does Jesus do that? He's bringing him back to belief. You see, life, the pursuit of this life of sacrificial love, must always bring us back to belief. Jesus brings Peter's eyes back to the possibility of love. He brings Peter's eyes back to the source of this life. Peter doesn't have it in him. He doesn't have it in him to go and to courageously preach the gospel and to die as a result. Why is he able to do that? Because he has been loved by Jesus. Because he has been shepherded by Jesus. Jesus does not say love without himself loving. 
Jesus does not say, go and feed my sheep without first feeding his disciples breakfast. Why? Because life must always lead us back to belief. The pursuit of sacrificial love will not happen unless it flows from this source. Think about it. When do the fish show up? Is it when the disciples are competently fishing at night? No. It's at dawn when the light of the world shows up. Verse 11 says that Peter hauls in this net. That word has been used throughout this gospel in places like John chapter 12 where Jesus says, I will be lifted up and I will draw. I will haul all kinds of people to me. The movement of love does not happen apart from the source of belief. Jesus feeds his disciples before he sends them to feed others. I got an email recently, and in the subject line, it said, The secret to a healthy church. And I was like, Yes! <laughs> I want a healthy church. I like secrets. Maybe, maybe someone has figured this out. Maybe someone has figured out a way to make it easy or at least doable. And so I opened it, and it was an advertisement for software that helps churches gather and organize data from their members. That's not the secret. (laughs) That might be helpful, but that is not the secret. That is not how we will live this life that Jesus is calling us to. That is not how we will be a community that looks like this. A community of sacrificial love. That's not how it will happen. We hear this call to love as Jesus has loved. To feed as he has fed. To sacrifice as he has sacrificed. We hear it and we want to say one of two things. We want to say, I can do it or I can't do it. And both are wrong. Because life comes from belief. It is the life that comes from believing that he has done it. And will. So let me ask you, are you fishing at night? Are you fishing in the night of your own competence? Or are you fishing at dawn with the light of the world? Are you out there loving and serving and trying to do what's best, trying to do what's good on an empty stomach? Or are you having breakfast with Jesus? Are you sitting before Him and letting Him feed you with His grace?
the encore is still happening. John 21 is not done. This music is still playing. The music of belief and life is still playing in this room. It is still playing in this community, in this congregation, in the congregations of Christ's church around this city and around the world. It is still playing in your life. So will you listen? Will you listen? And will you join the chorus? Let's pray.